Author and professor Jerry Sitzer has written that when the church is functioning at its best, there is simply no community on earth that can rival it. And I would agree. I would agree. When the church is functioning as it should be, wow. But then he also writes, when the church is functioning at its worst, there's no community on earth that can do as much damage. And I think I would have to agree with that as well. Because if you study history, then you can see that the church has been a powerful source of grace in in so many ways. The church has changed the lives of millions of people. But also... The church has a history of oppression and scandal, and it's often, we've often been given a bad reputation. And in addition, churches can often be a source of great pain to people who are hurting. Uh, one author put it this way, he said, The church is the only army I know that can shoot its own wounded in the back. And so we have to acknowledge that sometimes... The church is a far cry from the community that God intends for it to be, right? We have to admit that. But we must not give up uh, because this is God's plan. This is his intention. Uh, We admit that we are indeed imperfect and sinful, but we stubbornly continue to pray, Lord, let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God is not finished with us yet, either as individuals or as His church. Um, His desire is for us to grow together to be more and more like Him. And so He gives us uh, the Scriptures, and He gives us commands in Scriptures. And then He also gives us His Holy Spirit, which enables us to be able to try to live out those commands. And so... As we study those commands, as we study God's Word, we discover what God values, and it's obvious that He values relationships. He values relationship with Him and relationships with each other. Because as we study different commands for our relationships with one another in the church, we find more than 50 of these kind of one another commands. Um, and, And, for example, love one another or serve one another, or pray for one another. And so we're going to begin a series this morning that focuses on some, not, I don't want to scare you, we're not going to do all more than 50 of those commands, but we're going to focus on some of those commands for one another. And we're going to find that these commands give us a beautiful picture of how the church ought to function. And so my goal is really very simple, that we would function more and more like the biblical picture of that uh, because it's a beautiful community as God has designed for it to be Um, because we know that Jesus came to create something new he came to create something distinctly different than anything else in the world uh, or a loving community as our mission statement uh, describes it so we're going to begin this morning by focusing on the command Jesus gave his disciples Love one another, um, because I believe that's foundational for all the other and other commands that we're going to look at. John chapter 15, starting with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. This is Jesus talking. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So as I said, Jesus came to create something new, something totally different. And his church or his community is designed to be different than anything else in the world. And so the question that I think our scripture this morning addresses or that I want to answer through our scripture this morning is what is new or different you could say or different but what is new about following Jesus what's new about following Jesus well first of all we see that Jesus gives his followers a new command John 15 uh, Jesus speaks to his followers in the upper room and they're celebrating the last supper and he says in verse 12 my command is this Love one another as I have loved you. And then in other places, like a related passage in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus puts it this way. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we see that one way the world is going to know that we're his followers or his disciples or not is if we love one another. This is the mark that distinguishes healthy people or healthy and vibrant churches, that we love one another. But what does Jesus mean exactly when he uses this word love? Because it's certainly not the emotion of passion or romance that we in our culture associate with the word Um, there's a little boy once who was asked you know how how can you tell if two people are in love and the little boy thought about it and he said well if people are in love they just stare at each other when they go out to eat and their food gets cold (laughs) other people care more about the food he said But the love that Jesus has in mind here is more complex. It's deeper than that. And so if we take a a closer look at the meaning of the idea of love in Scripture, if we study that concept, we actually find different kinds of love that the Bible speaks about. And C.S. Lewis writes a whole, it's a great book, entitled The Four Loves. And he explores the meaning of different types or faces of love, affection, friendship, erotic love and the love of God and he Lewis that is explains in the English language that that we have only one word to express love but the Greek language that the New Testament was written in has several and each of these words sheds a different light on human love and so um, he takes a look at family love he he takes a look at brotherly or sisterly love and the love of friendship and then there's 
eros, which is the romantic, erotic kind of love. And then finally, there's a word that's used by Jesus in the passage that we just looked at, which is agape. What exactly does that mean? Well, there's a group called the Bible Project, and they put out some really uh, creative videos that I enjoy to help us understand concepts like these. And so let's, through their lens, understand what this word agape means. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rahmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing. Nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. 
Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Wow. That was a mouthful. I just want to touch on that last sentence there, an ecosystem, I don't use that word very often, an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. That is God's intention for the church. That is God's intention for this church. And so Jesus comes along, he takes this word agape, and he applies it not only to God's love for humanity, but also to love for one another. He intensified the Old Testament provision to love one's neighbor as oneself. And he called his followers to even love their enemies. And he didn't just teach this. He did it on the cross, for example, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So Jesus came to create something new. First, a new command. But secondly, a new kind of community. In John 15, Jesus said, Community expressed in agape love is an essential part of our witness to the world. And so when you and I become a part of the body of Christ, when we believe in Him and by the Holy Spirit, we are formed into a new kind of community, whether we're aware of that or not. But uh, that's how we're designed to be, to live this faith out in community. In his book, The Connecting Church, Randy Frazee writes, In a culture of individualism, when do non-Christians get to see other Christians loving each other in such a way that it compels them to run to Jesus? Frazee says, The church has often mirrored the culture by making Christianity in an individual sport. And I think that's, that's probably true. Because... Too many of us try to live this out alone. We, we don't invite other people into our lives. We don't welcome other people's care or accountability. That's countercultural. We want to do things our own way. And I think we're also afraid of rejection. We're worried that if people really knew who we really were, they wouldn't really like us. And so we have this tendency to gut it out to go it alone. But the problem is that this is not what God had in mind in his created order. We hide behind our masks. We put on a happy face. We try to tell the world, I've got it all together. But we don't, do we? We don't. We all have struggles. We all tend to struggle. And 
The sad thing is we do it alone, even though God has created us to live in community and in relationships with one another. Several years ago, I was invited to go to a small group meeting. It was a very similar group. I don't think it was AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was very similar to that. And I assume some of the people at the meeting were believers, but I know not all of them were. It certainly wasn't a church gathering. Um, But it was quite an eye-opening experience for me because the people at that meeting were so candid. I mean, they were so honest. Um, There was no posturing or pretending or hiding. People were pretty straight up about their struggles. They were just trying to make it through one more day of sobriety. And I remember leaving that meeting wondering, why can't the church be more like that? Why can't we realize that we're all fellow strugglers just trying to make it one day at a time? Why aren't we willing to open up and be vulnerable like these people are? And so I thought about that. And I think it's because we haven't hit bottom yet like they have. We still somehow think that we can make it on our own. We haven't become desperate for God or desperate for the fellowship of others like an addict is. They know they can't make it one day without God. They know they can't make it without each other. And that's why I believe they get together. And that's why I believe they're honest. And the reality is that we are the same. And so what would it take for us to become a community where we're willing to risk vulnerability with others? Jesus reminds his disciples that his church or his community at the foundation is about their relationships. Their relationship with him and their relationships with one another. But as I've worked in the church for a number of years, and you've probably discovered this too, um, people tend to determine church's value by other things. It's very easy to do. You know, I have people who ask me a lot of questions about church as the pastor. They say, hey, tell me about your church. And so, first of all, I have to correct them and say, well, it's not my church. Um, this is this is this church belongs to Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind you of that, that whether you're a visitor here, a frequent visitor, whether you're the pastor, whether you're a new member, whether you've been a part of this church forever. Amen. This isn't your church and it isn't my church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. OK, I have to remind myself of that as well. And then, you know, as I say that to someone, the person I'm talking to, they'll, they'll smile and say, well, yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, tell me about the church. You know, tell me about what, what, what's the building like? What, what, what's that building? You know, some, some people really care about the building. I mean, they really do. How big it is, how nice it is. And, and you know what? Um, I'm very proud of our facility. And I think we should be. It's a great facility. Uh, I'm excited about the things that we can do in this facility and the the potential that it has. I get excited about that, and that's great. But the Bible doesn't measure the value or the success of a church by the size or the type of its building. In fact, the early church didn't even have buildings, right? They met in houses. But people want to know, hey, what's the building like? And, and, And some of them, not all of them, some of them just like buildings, and that's fine. But some of them measure the success of the church based on the type of building. And I don't think that's right. And then you have other people, business people. 
and they'll say, hey, what's the church's budget per year? Or, you know, what's your level of giving like? And I, I really don't answer those questions very well because, to be honest, I don't keep very close track of it. I think that's the deacon's job. I don't worry about that. Um, but, but what I do know is that God gives us money so that we can give it to others. He blesses us so that we can be a conduit, a blessing to other people. And I, and I do think we're a generous giving church. We seem to be. I think we are. And we should be. Because God has blessed us. But, but why measure the value or the success of a church according to their finances or their projected budget? Please don't do that. Don't do that. And then the question I'm asked the most in terms of what's the value of your church is, how many people go to your church? And again, don't get me wrong on this. I, I want a lot of people to come here. I would like this place to be full all the time, every Sunday, so that people can grow, so that they can be equipped, so that they can worship God. I want a lot of people. That's good. And that's really sometimes the desire of people who are asking that question. But sometimes they're measuring the value or the success of the church based on how many people show up. And I don't see that in the Bible either. In fact, when I look in the Bible, it kind of scares me because I see one story where Jesus preached a sermon to a lot of people and a bunch of them stopped following him after that. Yikes. But, but Jesus comes to give us a new command, a new kind of community, and then lastly, a new measure of success. In his book, Love One Another, Jerry Sitzer says that the measure of a church's success doesn't depend on great wealth, political power, or superior organization. It isn't the result of great preaching, big buildings, or creative programs. Rather, the measure of a church's success is the mutual agape love that is shared in the community of faith. The quality of relationships among the Christian church is an effective witness for the gospel. Because it creates the kind of community into which others are naturally drawn. And people in our world are looking for that. You can't get that anywhere else. Sitzer points out that in his letter to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul argued that Christ destroyed all the old animosities that existed in the ancient world when he died on the cross. And so in the ancient world, there were all kind of walls that separated men and women and citizens and barbarians and slave and free and especially Jews and Gentiles. All those walls were torn down in the death of Jesus Christ. And, and we know that in that day, the Jews, the devout Jews, thought they were superior to the Gentiles. They thought they were the favored few and the, the Gentiles were considered outsiders. But all of that changed when Jesus came. He established peace and unity and Christ broke down those walls because in Christ we're one. And in Christ we all are on equal footing below the cross. But as I said, people in the world today, they may not realize that they're longing for it, but this is what they're longing for in terms of community with other people as God has designed it. And so my question for us is, will they find that kind of community here? I hope so. They should. We live in a world where people are becoming isolated from one another. People change places of residence frequently. Uh, Seven in ten people don't know their neighbors. 
And uh, as many as one-third of the American people admit to periods of loneliness. And if you couple that with the explosion of technology and the the ability we now have to text and email and Facebook and Instagram and all those things, people are increasingly communicating without personally interacting. I believe something is lost when that happens. As one writer says of our generation, they are always connected but rarely connecting. Jesus wants the church to be a healthy, uh, a place of healthy connection, of relationships. And he gives us this new command to love one another as a part of a new, new community, which is united in him. And so I pray that our measure of success is how well we do loving each other inside the church and outside the church. So what's, what's the application in the message for you this morning? How can you be the hands and feet of Jesus to love people in the church or outside of the church? Maybe this morning you've realized um, that your relationships really don't go very deep, that you uh, would like to pursue deeper relationships as God has designed them. Or maybe as you, we've talked about small groups, you're thinking, you know, I really need to get connected in a group of believers, people that I can encourage and pray for, or people that will encourage and pray for me. Or, or maybe the Holy Spirit is pressing on you this morning to show this kind of agape love to someone else that you would just rather not show it to. Let the Holy Spirit speak this morning. How will you follow the Lord's command to love one another? Is there someone that God is calling you to love? Is there a person in your life or maybe in this congregation who is hard to love, with whom you need to reconcile, and God is asking you, show my agape love. Show it. How can you be a deeper expression of community in our church? I'll let the Holy Spirit speak this morning, but I'd ask you to to listen to, to the Spirit. Take a step of faith. See what God has for you as you allow his agape love to flow through you and show it to others.